Well, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and transition. We're going to transition to our teaching time this morning. I'll invite Vicki to come on up to read God's Word. Good morning. So this is God's Word. We're in John still, uh, verses 39, chapter 8, verses 39 through 47. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, that, Ab- that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear, you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you will do what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Amen. Thanks, Becky. Good morning, church family. How are you? You good? Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, glad to have you. Uh, let me just invite you into my headspace a little bit as we approach this topic today. A uh, couple of things. Number one, it is sunny outside, and that makes me happy. Does that make you happy? It ought to make you happy, uh, unless you're trying to claim to be some sort of real, true, grumpy Seattleite. Uh, just let your guard down and be real. It makes you happy. Number two, I woke up this morning, and the Mariners won in extra innings. Uh, I turned it off after... They blew the save because I'm like, I need to prepare my heart to worship Jesus in the morning and not stay up late and all of that. So I woke up. I was like, oh, the mirror's one. I'm happy. Uh, I'm also happy because uh, this last week, my wife and I got to spend three and a half days at the Sojourn Network retreat for the uh, lead pastors and the wives of the network. Uh, We had most all of the pastors and wives of the churches of this, this church network that we're a part of, as well as a bunch of guests, new people checking out the network. And it was an incredibly encouraging time, uh, an incredibly refreshing time, uh, just being with brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus, who love the mission, who love the kingdom of God. Uh, it was just such an encouragement. And so I'm thankful to be a part of this church family that affords me the opportunity to go and, and do that. And I come bearing words of love and, and thankfulness from our brothers and sisters across the nation who are laboring in gospel ministry with us. <clears throat> I will also say, though, as I, as I come in here today, um, there's some ways in which my heart is really heavy. Uh, We have people in our church family who are hurting, who are suffering, who are facing dire medical needs, who are facing all sorts of relational challenges. There's some heaviness. Um, But then, mostly, I I come in today bearing a burden on this passage and this topic of the fatherhood of God. And if I'm being honest with you, um, all week long, as I was working on this message, even at the retreat, sitting there kind of at the pool and scratching notes, reading the passage, 
Looking at commentaries on my phone, that's actually really cool. <laughs> uh, but man, this weight just settled over me over the course of the week. And even just as I woke up this morning, this is a heavy subject to speak about, the idea of fatherhood. And so I am asking you for prayer as I pray for us in our time in the scriptures right now. So would, you, would you pray for me as I, as I pray for us and, and we ask God to minister to us? So let's go before the Lord now. God, we, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it contains. Thank you for the love that it contains. Thank you for the power to transform the human heart that is inherent in your word and your message, your communication. God, today, um, I feel this, I don't feel it enough, but today I'm feeling it more so, God, just my own inadequacy to deliver these words today. So I pray that you'd strengthen me and you'd guard my lips. I I only want to communicate that which is truthful and, and would build us up. And God, I pray for each of us that you'd allow our hearts to be open and tender, not guarded, not walled off. As we speak about this, this love that you have for us as our Father, we pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' good name. Amen. So if I was to grab you out in the lobby after the service or at a coffee shop, and just, you know, hey, tell me about your Father. Variety of reactions. And one man after the first service just teared up and shook my hand and said, man, I was so fortunate. My dad was a good man. Somebody else teared up and said, why'd you have to do that? Why'd you have to bring that guy up? Others of you, it might, maybe it's just a big numb. Like, what, do you, what, what? I have no feeling. There's nothing there. I never knew him. He was gone. Maybe he passed away. Maybe he abandoned, left. It's just a big void, a big nothingness. Maybe, maybe for the majority of us, there's kind of a mixture, some good, some bad. Tell me about your father. For good or for bad, our earthly fathers have a tremendous amount of influence and effect on our lives. Would you agree? Tremendous amount. I have a non-Christian friend that I've been able to have some pretty deep conversations about things of life and hopes for the future and various conversations about things, but she will not. I've tried a couple of times to just ask about dad. I've actually gotten to know her mother through a totally different set of circumstances and talk about mother, will not talk about dad. It's too painful, can't go there. And for better or for worse, oftentimes for worse, Our image of God as Father, when we hear that God is Father, our image of our Heavenly Father is shaped and informed. We we look through the lenses of our earthly Father as we look upon our Heavenly Father. And so my hope and my prayer today is that we could go to the source. We could see what God our Father is like because to know the Father heart of God is to know true life. We, we cannot live unless we know the love of God, our Father. And you know, we've been going through the, the book of John, the Gospel of John, and ever since the beginning of chapter 7, uh, you know, it starts this, this section on the Feast of Booths. So chapter 7 and chapter 8, this section where Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's interacting, having lots of conversations about the Feast of Booths, 
They're in Jerusalem celebrating that God ransomed their forefathers out of slavery in Egypt, and they're celebrating a week-long celebration by living in tents, and there's all this language of father that's come up. I just kind of skimmed back through chapter 7 and 8, and Jesus is saying things like, my teaching comes from my father. I was sent on mission by my father. Soon I will go to my father, and where I go, you, you can't come, and, and my father bears witness that I'm telling the truth. He's, he's bearing witness about me. Jesus says things like, you people don't know my father. He says things like, if you knew me, you would also know the father. He said, I always only do that which is pleasing to my father. And then last week, the passage where we landed, the verse we landed last week, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So there's this contrast, my father and your father, we got different daddies, Jesus is saying. And just so we're clear, like the temperature over chapter seven and eight has just been steadily cranked up. It's like, it's like my wife with the thermostat in the house, just like slowly turned up every time. Okay, I'm sorry, that's not fair. But she, she does and she needs to repent, okay? <clears throat> N.T. Wright puts it well when he, when he summarizes getting into this section, like this is no gentle devotional discussion of a deep personal religious truth set within a framework of civility and mutual respect. No, this is a man facing a crowd set upon lynching him and bravely speaking up against their hypocrisy. The temperature is hot. Jesus is not backing down. And he said, my father and something about your father. And so what do they say? Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Don't you talk to us about fathers? We're descended from, from father Abraham. Many sons and many sons had father Abraham, right? Like, don't, yeah, thank you. Thank you, yes. And, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? I, I, I stopped myself at the 9 a.m. service and I did not hear at this service. But it's your fault for egging me on. Right, like this whole feast is all about national pride and civic pride and our forefathers. And, and don't you talk about our daddy. Abraham is, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But instead, you're, you're trying to kill me. And all I have done, I'm just a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You know, like, like father, like son, you heard that saying, right? Like you, you want to tell me that you're descended from Abraham. Well, Abraham did works of righteousness and you're trying to kill me for telling you the truth about God. Jesus said to them, you are, excuse me, verse 31, you are doing the works your father did. Now he still hasn't explicitly said something. What do they say? Well, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, we have one father, even God. So they actually just took a card out of, out of Jesus' kind of playbook. Jesus keeps talking about God as father. They said, no, 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 we know who our father is. He's even bigger than father Abraham. God is our father. And actually, Jesus, at least we know who our daddy is. Why would they say that? Why would they bring up not being born of sexual immorality? The virgin birth. The Christian doctrine of the virgin birth is that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, overshadowed Mary. She conceived and gave birth to Jesus 
So Mary is his mother, but God is the father of Jesus. God is fully God and fully man. And so they drop this line because, I mean, let's be honest. That's a, that's a hard claim to, to live by. Amen? Here, here's, here's Jesus from the earliest time of his life. There's a cloud of suspicion over his paternity. At least we know who our daddy is, Jesus. We weren't born of sexual immorality. So here in this part of the discussion, we can just see the importance of earthly fathers, right? I mean, the, the, the Jewish people are claiming, hey, we, we're, we come from Abraham. No, we come from God. You don't know who your daddy is. There's all this discussion about fathers. And I think we can see from these verses, the, the, the kind of, when you really distill it down, what it is that fathers provide. Why are fathers so important? The, the first place is that, that fathers really serve us when they do well is that fathers provide a sense of identity. Who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I the way that I am? What's my lineage? What's my heritage? What's my, like, what, where's my sense of connection and connection to the past? And what's my grounding? I am... Um, one week ago, I got my results back from the DNA thing on Ancestry.com. Have any of you guys done that? Okay, there's a few of you out there who have done the weird thing where you spit into a tube and you put it in the mail and you send it to a stranger who has a tube of your spit. That's very odd. And then they look at things like genes and ribonucleic acids, or I don't know, and then they can tell you, what your ethnic heritage is. Now, I, through my father's side, I've known that there's English and there's Norwegian. On my mother's side, I've known that there's Irish, English, and a little bit of German. But my great-grandfather on my dad's side was adopted, and he had very dark, olive-colored skin, dark-colored hair. I've seen photos of him. I got bright blue eyes, but I kind of take after his skin tone. And I've always just kind of wondered, like, what, what's there? What's in the genetic, the gene pool? Turns out I have 11% of South Iberian Peninsula, Spain. Like, oh, okay, cool. Well, that explains why I like olives so much, I guess. And, and Spanish classical guitars. But the rest is just like pff, all white. Like just white as you get. German, Norwegian, Irish, English. What's interesting about this, though, too, is, okay, it kind of helps give me a little sense of, of history or identity. I don't have any of the lineage, though, to connect to it, because in the United States of America, we are a nation that was born out of revolution. In fact, the roots of our nation, the roots of our culture were, you know, for the Europeans in particular, it's like, let's get away and let's cut ties with everything that was history and tradition. We want to start fresh, and we created a culture that's highly individualized. Certain people groups that immigrated over uh, maintained more of a connection to family history. But, you know, for those who are, particularly for those who have African descent being brought over through slavery, like there's no records, there's no genealogies. If you go to the East Coast, you see the oldest buildings that there are. It's like 300 years old. You go to other parts of the world, they can track lines for centuries, millennia. 
Like, the Jew, like just read the genealogies in the Jewish scriptures, right? This guy begat this guy and this guy begat this guy and this guy gave birth to this guy. Like we can't do that because in our culture, we have largely abandoned the idea that we need connectivity to our past and to our fathers. Meanwhile, we have a generation of people, particularly in the last 50 years, since the sexual revolution and since the idea that individuality is all that matters... We have a generation, particularly of men, that have no idea who they are. No connection to the past, no connection to history, floundering, which leads to the second thing that fathers are supposed to provide, which is a sense of what's the activity? <clears throat> Not just where do I come from, but what am I supposed to do? He says, if you were descended from Abraham, you should be doing the works that Abraham did. What am I supposed to do with my life? We live... Again, in a culture that has adopted a belief that says something like this. You can be anything you want to be and you can do anything that you want to do. Now, while there is, I make fun of that because, and I shouldn't always make fun of it because there is something really beautiful about the idea of freedom and choice and, and, and exploring the world and stuff because there, there is something really good and beautiful about that, Right. But when I was 11 years old, I should not admit this publicly, I was convinced, like you, I was convinced that I was going to be a point guard in the NBA. Why are you laughing? That hurts my feelings. It was, I mean, I was really into basketball. It was... About this time of year, playoff basketball, I had an uncle who lived in Phoenix. We'd go visit him every year in the Phoenix Suns. This is like the Charles Barkley, Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson era of Phoenix Suns. I just love, I'm like, I am going to play point guard for the Phoenix Suns when I grow up. And I remember with my dad, <laughs> my, 11, my 11 year old self going to my dad, and my dad's about a half inch shorter than I am and has less hops than I do, which is negligible. I was like, Dad, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I found my meaning and my purpose. And my dad went, Okay. And then just kind of left it alone, right? Later on, sat with me like, hey, you know, you've gone through puberty. You've, you've maxed out your height at like five foot nine. You want to talk about, again about what you're going to probably actually do with, with your life? And he provided guidance and, and formation. And it was a beautiful thing. How many of you have had a father, a father figure, someone in your life provide some of that guidance and that, what am I supposed to do? And it, it's, it's helpful, right? It's, it's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> but because we're largely, again, disconnected from our earthly fathers were missing out on this, this idea of identity. Who am I and, and, and what am I supposed to do? For most of human history, your job, you did what your father did. And again, there's, there's, there's some beauty in saying, hey, there's freedom to explore. But man, there's also a lot of men that I've known who are just paralyzed. Because they have no idea what on earth they're here for. This comes out of the, the character of God himself. Our earthly fathers, when they provide that identity and they provide that activity, it actually comes out of the character of God himself. In Psalm 150, there's a verse that tells us that we need to praise God for his mighty deeds and we praise him according to his excellent greatness. There's the identity of God. He is great and excellent. He is the, the character, his identity, who he is. We're supposed to praise him for that. And then we're supposed to praise him for those things that he does, his, his mighty deeds, his works, who God is, what he does. An earthly father, when he's at his best, models that for, for each and every single one of us. Who God is, what he does, 
who you are, what you do. The, the people aren't getting it. Verse 42. Jesus said, if God were your father, you said that God's your father. If God really were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why don't you, why don't you get it? Why don't you understand what I say? It's because you can't bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. I mean, like, (laughs) Abraham is our father, civic pride, national pride, ethnic pride. You know, God is our father. No, your, your, your dad's the devil. No wonder they wanted to crucify him. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Some translations say he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. We sometimes in our culture struggle with the idea of the the, the personification of evil. People in our culture, even irreligious people, people who would claim to be agnostics or atheists or, or spiritual but not religious, they believe in evil. In fact, in some ways, uh, our culture is more moral than ever. It's just there's not necessarily a biblical standard of morality. But people struggle with the idea of the personification of evil, that there is a devil, there is a, a spiritual created being. He is a created being. He is not equal to God. Amen. It's not like a yin-yang sort of a thing. It is God, who is the creator God, created all things, which includes spiritual beings, one of whom is this rebellious angel known as the Satan. It's a title. It's, it's actually, a, it's not a name, a personal name, as much as it is a title. The adversary, the accuser, the enemy, the one who's in opposition. And he... He stands in opposition to God, but he, he will not last forever. His days are numbered, praise God. He, 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 he will be ultimately destroyed. For now he has influence, he has sway, he does have some semblance of power. But when Christ returns at the end of the age, he will meet his ultimate destruction in hell. But, but the idea of, and then every once in a while, people will start to get it when they, when they hear of a particularly horrific thing that is done by a person, like the person, how could someone be so evil? It's kind of like that. How could someone be like that? Well, look at what Jesus says about him. Look at what Jesus says about if the devil's your father, what does that look like? Well, first of all, it looks like having disordered desires. It says his desires. You want to do the desires of your father, the devil. Well, what are those desires? We can see throughout the pages of the Old Testament in particular, a couple of key places in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, but actually in Genesis 3, when the serpent shows up in the garden, that this, this devil desires God's place. God has all authority. God has all power. God has all uh, rulership and lordship over everything in the universe. And that this devilish desire is to usurp God's authority. No, thank you, God. You move over. I'd like to be in charge. That's the devil's deepest desire. Number two, he traffics in destruction. 
Jesus says he's a murderer. He's always been a murderer. Elsewhere, it says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is a, he is a master at bringing destruction and devastation because he hates God's creation. God's glory is displayed in his creation. God's glory is displayed, yes, in the creation of nature, but God's glory is displayed in you, you image bearers. We, bearing the image and the likeness of God, we remind the devil of what God is like, and so he is bent on devastation and destruction. And three, oh, he is a liar and a deceiver. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. This is, he's speaking out of his own character. It's just what he does. It's just what he does. He twists God's truth. We've seen this theme of truth time and time again throughout the gospel of John. He comes bearing witness to the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I come speaking the truth, my father. Satan hates the truth, and so he always twists the truth. And by the way, you know this, the most effective form of deception and lies is not the outlandish lies and the outlandish stories and the completely fabricated things. It's just little subtle twists on the truth. Now, As you look at this, some of you may be thinking, yeah, that sounds like my earthly father. He he was authoritarian, tried to act like God, tried to act like the king. He left a wake of destruction in his path with his words, with his actions. He harmed me. He harmed my siblings. Maybe there was abuse. There was deception, there was covering, there was, there was lying, there was posturing and, and making things to be uh, the best possible version for himself and the worst possible version for everyone else. Can I just ask you for a moment, as true and as real and as painful as that may be, can I just ask you for a moment to consider if any of these are in your heart? Have you ever desired God's place of authority? Have you ever said, I'd like to be in charge, God? I love you, and I hate to break it to you, but every single time you've ever sinned, that's what was in your heart. You want to define what's right and what's wrong. Have you ever, have you ever brought destruction? Have you ever just, man, whew, you look back like, man, that, that did not go well. night before I share this with you, not, you need to know that, that myself, pastors, no perfect people in here. Night before I left for this pastoral retreat, just blew up on my kids. And I tried for the briefest of moments to justify it because they'd been fighting and they'd been doing naughty things. It doesn't justify anything. I just left destruction in my wake to spend my, the last hour with my, with my children before they went to bed and I went and go get on an airplane repenting to them and crying with them and pleading for the grace and the mercy of Jesus. I just left a bunch of destruction in my wake. You ever, you ever lied? You ever just like, mm, uh, just a little bit, just to kind of make yourself look a little bit better? You ever, you ever lied to yourself? <laughs> Paul Tripp made a comment this last week 
that stuck with me. It said, no one is better at swindling me than me. You've got yourself convinced. It's not even lying to other people. You just lied to yourself about the true state of your heart and your condition. When when you're honest, I mean, it's like what Jesus said. It it can be hard. We don't want to listen. We don't want to understand it because we can't bear to hear it. We can't bear to hear his word. Like these Jewish leaders, like these Jewish listeners, we cannot bear to hear his word because it's painful and it's hard to look in the mirror of God's perfect law. Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you, (laughs) oh man, this is so much gospel right here. Which of you, Jesus says, can prove me guilty of sin? If you're an underliner, highlighter, man, circle those words right there because that is the gospel. Which of you can convict me of sin? I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, here's the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So here, Jesus brings a distinction. There are those who are of God and there are those who are not of God. What is Jesus talking about? What does it mean to be of God? Well, it means to be born of God. It means to be brought into his family. It means to be saved. It means to have trusted in, in Jesus, the redeemer. It means to be, to be part of his family. It means, it means all of that. It means to be, to be living in the love of God, the father. And this is where our defenses go up. This is where our our walls go up. How am I supposed to live in love of the Father? And we look through the lenses of our earthly fathers and friends, even the best earthly father out there still falls far short of the standard of our heavenly father. Amen? And so we say like, well, how, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to be of God? How am I supposed to live in the father's love? Well, let's look at what the father's love is like. What have we seen in these verses? We've seen first that the Father's love is generous. Jesus said, he sent me. What did we see back in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his one and only monogenes, uniquely only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. See, see, friends, some of your fathers were ungenerous men. They took and they hoarded and they did not share. But God the Father is a generous father. God the Father is like the father in the story of the prodigal son. Do you guys know what that, you guys remember that story? When the, when the son takes the inheritance and he runs and he wastes it all on, on partying and wild living. And he says, I'm going to go back to my dad. Maybe I could be a, a bond servant, a slave in his house. And, and maybe he'll give me a job. And it says that the father runs and embraces him and hugs him and kisses him and takes the, the, the fancy robe off and puts it on him and a ring on his finger and kills the fattened calf, the, the best steak. Like this isn't like bottom shelf bargain bin at the grocery store. This is like you go to the butcher and get the best steak and throws a party. Do you guys know that word prodigal? It doesn't mean wandering. It means excessive. The prodigal son lived wastefully and excessive. It's why Tim Keller wrote a book called the prodigal God, because his love is so excessive. Why are there 
stars 18 trillion light years away. That is unnecessary, God. We sang that song at the beginning. There's no limit to his love. How many of you, Jesus says, if you, if you ask your, your father to, for some fish to eat, how many of you would, would, would he give a snake? If you ask for a bread, will he give you a rock? Actually, that verse always has kind of bugged me because when I was a kid, I asked my parents for a snake and they gave me a fish instead. I'm like, that is backwards. Like I wanted a pet snake and instead I got a guppy. It was very disappointing. But the point being that God is a generous God, amen? He's not going through gritted teeth saying, okay, I guess here you go. No, he gave his only son for us. And God's love is pure. Jesus stands up and says, you can't convict me of sin. I've only, I've only ever done that which is pleasing to God. I've never sinned. You can't convict me. You can't prove me guilty of sin. We know from other parts of the scripture that God's, God's completely innocent of evil. And see, this is incredibly good news because again, on a human level, our love is often, uh, our, our love is often attached to a hook. I will love you. I will serve you. I will give you something because I want something from you. It's this, it's this selfish, sinister, self-focused approach to love. But, but, but God's love, the Father's love is pure. You want to know what God the Father's love is like? You look at Jesus. Jesus says, I've, I've, I've never done anything wrong. I've only been truthful with you. God gave his son purely. He says, I, I want to give you joy unspeakable. I want to give you hope in the darkest of circumstances. I want to give you peace that just passes anything you could understand. I want to give you life eternal. Here it is. This is, this is what my heart is for you. It's pure love. The love of the father is truthful. We can see this implicitly by the contrast with the devil being the father of lies. God is the father of truth. God speaks truth. God speaks clarity into confusion. God speaks truth into chaos. Now, admittedly, sometimes that truth is hard because it reveals things about us that we don't, we don't want to hear. We don't want to see, but my goodness, wouldn't it be great to know that earthly fathers were only ever truthful? Here's one. Dads, can you relate to me, with me on this one? Dad, were you listening to what I was saying? Oh, yeah, I was. Yes, absolutely. I was. Do you know that one? Yeah, I was, oh, I was totally listening. Can you say it again, though? Because I loved, I loved the way you said it, and I just want to hear you say it again. God's love is truthful. God's love is redemptive. If Satan's a murderer and Satan's a destroyer and he, 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 he takes good and beautiful things and destroys them, then God's love takes messed up, wrecked things and makes them beautiful again. That God, our Father, takes the ugliest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, the death of the Son of God, the death, I mean, the cross is ugly. Jesus is naked and beaten and bleeding and mocked and spit upon. The cross is horrendously ugly. 
They're, they're all of the ugliness of sin, all of the brokenness of the world is on full display. All of the horrific things that are in the heart of man on full display. God takes that most ugly, most horrific thing that has ever happened in the history of the world and he turns it into our redemption. The blood of Jesus shed to purify us from sin, the broken body of Jesus to make us whole. That, that Jesus bled and died on the cross and it wasn't even the physical suffering. You know the worst part of it? My God, why have you forsaken me? That God turned his back on his only son so that you and I would never have to see the back of our heavenly father. God takes messes that we create and that others create and he turns them into something beautiful. And then, lastly, God's love is is formative. It's it's shaping. It's an active type of love. Talks about, you know, doing the works of your father. Sometimes when we talk about works as Christians, I want to bring a little bit of a correction, okay? Sometimes we talk about works and there's a verse in the Bible that says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That's in the Bible, It's absolutely true. And particularly what that verse is talking about is our self-righteous attempts to prove ourselves before God by our amazing deeds. That is very gross and it's very detestable to God. Amen? However, there is something called loving obedience and, and, and sincere response and devotion to God that is very pleasing to God. We need to be careful that we don't just denigrate the idea of obedience when we talk about, we're talking about sinful works, prideful works. But there is a sense that when we take even just little faltering steps to try to obey God, it's a beautiful thing. It's a precious thing, the way a father would look upon a young child attempting. So yesterday, I took advantage of the nice weather, and I decided to work on my deck. I have a deck that needs to be stained. If anyone's free this afternoon, you're welcome to come over. And um, I, it was kind of a joke. Actually, I guess it's not, but um, it needed to be sanded, and it needed to have some nails pounded down and kind of fixed up or whatever. And so I got out the power tools, and I got out the belt sander. I got a radial sander out for different spots and got out the hammer. And do you know what happens when you get out tools and there's children around, you know what they do? Daddy, can I try? And I don't know, maybe I'm just like the sunshine, maybe the week of, you know, relaxing at this pastor's retreat. I'm like, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, let me tell you what I'm going to do, kids. I'm going to go get a multi-power splitter so that we can run both sanders at the same time. And I handed radial sander to an eight-year-old girl because someday some man is going to want to marry her and, and she's going to be like, can you operate a radial sander? Nope. Move on, right? Like it's, this is formation. This is training, right? And we're sitting there. I'm like, you know, and like at the end of the day, like I got the quality of work. I got what I paid for, right? Like it was just not, <laughs> it was not amazing. But like, but my heart, my dad heart was just so proud. Like one, one of the dudes we got, we got staying with our family. I mean, he 
he killed it. He had the sander and he's going back and forth. And then I gave the belt sander, which is way more powerful to the, to the five-year-old. And that was short-lived. But like, then she got the hammer. She's like banging down. I'm so proud. Can you see God with you like that saying, look, you're not that impressive, but let me walk with you and, 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 and love you and shape you and form you so that you can do the works that your father does. Instead of seeing your feeble, half-hearted attempts at obedience, instead of sitting there thinking that God's just like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get it together? Instead, you see the father heart of love shaping you, changing you, growing you, maturing you, helping you to be like him. So I ask you two questions. Number one, have you been brought into the father's love? Some of you here today are not yet believers in Jesus. You've not entrusted yourself to the love of the Father. You've been living, you've been living under the parenthood, the parenthood of the devil. And God the Father is saying, I want you to come into this love. I want you to come into my type of love. All the way back in, in John chapter 1, there's this talk about that Jesus came to his own people and they didn't accept him, they didn't receive him, but it says to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, Jesus gives them the right to become children of God. Not because they were born of, of blood. It's not a blood lineage thing or the will of a man it's not because some guy decided, I mean, literally that's what it means, because some guy decided to get some woman pregnant. It's not like that. It's the will of God. That you trust in Jesus and you get brought into this type of love from our heavenly father. That's my first question for those of you who are not yet believers. My second question for those of you who are believers, are you living in the father's love? And here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. There, there, this would be a great time in the sermon for me to address the men. In fact, I'm, I'm, I would like to do that for a moment. I'd like to address you men. And there's a real part of me that wants to have a, like a moment with you men. Like a, like, a, like, a, like a man moment, right? It's the like, it's the like grab you by the shirt. Are you being a man? Is it this kind of love? Is it the father's love? Or are you being like the devil and you're bringing devastation? Listen, there is a time and there is a place for a well-placed, stern word of correction, a grab somebody by the shoulders, get nose to nose and deliver that word. However, however, hear me on this. Yesterday, after we worked on the deck, I, I built our first backyard fire pit of the season. But some of the firewood is still a little bit seattle and rained on, okay? And I did that thing which all great fathers do at one point or another to help the fire. You guys know where I'm going with this, right? Like just to, just to help, help the fire, right? It was a solid cup and a half, two cups. You weren't home. You were gone. So you hadn't gone home yet. Like three quarters of a cup of gasoline, right? I poured it on the fire, threw the match in. What happened, right? Boom, Yeah fireball, lots of heat, lots of fire, lots of noise, and it lasted for about nine seconds. And then I had to work really hard to, to put actually dry fuel on the fire. Listen, when we, especially us men, grab each other by the shoulders and, uh, it's like putting gasoline on the fire. 
You can get a real dramatic reaction, but it will be short-lived. There is a time and a place for it, but it will not sustain you in the long run. You know what will sustain you in the long run? Your father loves you. Your father sent Jesus to die for you. When you become a Christian, you're united with Christ. That means that everything that's true about Jesus is true about you. That means when God the Father spoke over Jesus after his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, that's true about you as well. That will sustain. Your father loves you. Your father deeply loves you. Your father, the the best you've ever been treated by another father or father figure pales in comparison to the love that your father has for you. And on those days when you don't feel like your love, you look at the cross. Nothing can change that Jesus died and rose again for you. God, I'm asking and I'm praying right now as we prepare our hearts to respond to you, I'm praying that you would give us a more, a more fully formed picture of your Father's heart of love for us. God, I ask and I pray for my brothers here in the room, for the men, that they hear the voices of condemnation. You're failing as a man. You're not living up. You're not being a man. God, I ask and I pray that your voice would ring louder and truer and stronger than the voice of the enemy and the accusations that come against them. God, for my sisters who are here in the room, for those women who were abandoned or harmed or abused by bad earthly fathers, God, I pray that you would enter in with your gentle touch and you would work healing and peace and grace in a way that only you can do it. God, I ask and I pray that each of us would live in your love. For anyone who's here today who's not yet taken that step of faith to believe in Jesus, to be brought into the Father's love, would you do that work in their hearts now? And may we all begin to respond as you would have us to in Jesus' good name. Amen. Friends, I want to invite you to stay in an attitude of of prayer, an attitude of worship as we enter into this time of response. We're going to invite our younger students class in to join us for this. We're going to begin by collecting an offering. And and think about this. Don't let the offering be mechanical for you. Remember our Father? He's a generous God. And so as we give, we we practice that type of generosity. This is not an arm-twisting thing. If you're a guest or a visitor, there's no pressure or obligation to give. But this is an opportunity for us to do the works that our Father does, to be generous. So I invite you to give as you're led, as you're able. You can pray for us, the elders and the financial accountability team. We're meeting this afternoon to set our budget for next year. And um, we've got some ground to make up in terms of our, our giving. And we've got some decisions to be made in terms of wise stewardship and expenditures. We've got some mission to go forward on. So you can pray for us in that this afternoon. Here's what I want to do. I threw this at Pete and the boys and the gals here like 10 minutes before the service. I want to sing How Deep the Father's Love. 
And I want to invite you to get your, your communion elements ready. And we're going to sing. And I'm going to read from our, our passage in 1 Corinthians that we look at kind of throughout. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together as we sing. If you're able to sing, I invite you to sing. If, if, if this is hitting you in a, in, a, in, a, in a raw, in a real way, don't feel like you have to sing. <clears throat> in a minute, we'll invite you to stand as, as we move on to the next area of singing. But I want to celebrate this Lord's table together through song. So get the elements ready and we'll, we'll take this all together. God, I ask that you'd help us now to respond to you and that your love would not be theoretical, it would be experiential that your love would not just be a principle, but it would be transformative in our lives. We give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.